So I don't know what to title this message. Um, <clears throat> I think we should just call it church and then work our way from that title and see if we can get anywhere. Call it church. So I want to talk to you a little bit about church, what that means, where we're going as a church collectively. Uh, this is a local church. Jesus has the universal church. The universal church comprises all the believers across the world as part of the universal church of Jesus Christ. In most of Paul's letter, he addresses to the local churches. He, uh, he doesn't address, uh, almost all his letters are addressed to communities of believers, not to single individual believers, with the exception of maybe Philemon, where he talks about the slave um, Onesimus. That's about the only letter that I can think of, of, of just off the cuff about what he addressed to individuals. The rest of the letters are to the Corinthians, not the, the dude in Corinth, to, uh, the, uh, to the, uh, the letter to um, Galatians, O Galatians, who have bewitched thee, talking about them having begun in the spirit, now ending in the flesh, having received salvation by faith, not through works, and now having wanting to keep their salvation through works like circumcision. He addresses it to communities to, to deal with these things. You find Revelation is written to the seven churches. Uh, all, well, in part, it's not just written for that specific purpose, but it, but it includes the, the letters to uh, the writings to the seven churches, not the seven individuals. And so I find that many Christians, when they read the Bible and, and, and the lens you put on when you read Scripture determines what you'll get out of Scripture. It is possible to put on the wrong lens. Now, one of the lenses that you should read through Scripture, the Scripture with is a Christocentric lens. In other words, Christ in Scripture. The historic Jews in Israel, Pharisees and Sadducees, had scriptural knowledge but the wrong lens. They, they put on the lens of a physical savior that will set Israel free from their Roman oppressors. They were looking for a savior to usurp the throne of king. And looking for that, Jesus didn't fit the bill and could not see that Jesus being that because there they were reading into scripture what they wanted to get out of. They had a predetermined end result that they needed to get. So anything that wasn't that was filtered out. Much like your eyes seeing me when you're looking at me right now, you're seeing me and ignoring everyone else in this room. You're not seeing everybody's brand of t-shirt they have on or color of their hair because your eyes doesn't see that as important information. So if you have the wrong lens on, you'll miss a lot in scripture. So the first in, 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 in theology, what you need to do is to see Christ in scripture. We see it through Genesis. And now when you have an understanding of Jesus, who Jesus is revealed in the New Testament, you can reread the Old Testament and understand that this speaks of Jesus. That's why Paul says, this is what was written. When, he, when Peter stands in the book of Acts, he says, this is what Joel wrote there. This is the fulfillment here of that. When, when Paul writes of the... Um, Noah's Ark and all these things. He is pointing back to events that happened there, pointing to Jesus. You got that. So, but when you put on the lens of me, consumer, and you read scripture, 
I think you miss a lot of what God wants to tell us because we read scripture with a me lens. We think that the Bible was written for me, you. It was written for you individually. While there's a scripture in the Bible that says the scripture is not for personal, no prophecy ever given was for personal interpretation, which implies because the scripture was written, corrected last week, not by 40 different authors, but in fact only one, God through the hands of 40 different authors, 40, 40 different, if you will, scribes that, that God used. But, but the Bible is, is God speaking to us. And so it's not a matter of personal interpretation. So in fact, it doesn't really matter what you think Bible, the Bible says. It doesn't really matter at all what you think Scripture says. It doesn't matter what I think Scripture says. It matters what Scripture says. It doesn't matter what I think it says. What I think it says doesn't change the truth. The truth is the truth. And so scripture is not supposed to be read with only a me lens. Obviously there are scripture that deals with you individually. There are, but we read too many scriptures dealing with me individually. We read scripture from the perspective of the consumer. How does this scripture benefit me? What do I get out of it? So if it says this about that, about that, how, what does that affect me? How does that affect me? It's quite immature, to be honest. And it's, it speaks of us as being children, not having grown up into our responsibility and interpreting it accurately to position us how, however it should position us. Okay, all of that said and done, what I want to try and do, what I want to try and get at is for us as a church to understand what is our role. This building... Although very nice, our gardens are beautiful. Are you seeing it? Are you appreciating it? It's a lot of work going into it. It's radical. If we could keep up like this, we'll turn this name into the Botanical Gardens of Pretoria, Montana. Because this is getting very nice. It's a, it's a lot of work. We're trying to make this church building and everything stand out. And so what it does is it invites people to come and visit. So there's a lot of people that has an opinion about this church. There are people that will say, this is a cult. And in part, that's why I want to address this message. Uh, they're going to call us cults. So you, can't, you can't do anything about that. Uh, anything that, that is, uh, whatever. People will come and visit. But this is not supposed to be a building that just draws visitors like a museum through the one door, out the other door, and we don't see them in a year from now. That's useless. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of taxpayers' money. We should change the words. It's a waste of tithers money. We're not a museum. We're not supposed to have people walk through the one door, walk through the other door and go like, Oh, it's nice. Did you see the tree in the foyer? Oh, they have a tree inside the building. And that's just to make the building look bigger. Because who has a tree inside the building? I have a plant in my house. It's a small plant. So, so we're not supposed to be a place where people come you should really visit there it's not like a country you visit you go sightseeing you're not a tourist you're supposed to be this is supposed to be well we know that it's supposed to be an apostolic hub a place like uh like an airport like the emirates airlines airport which is an airport central to many locations you can get anywhere in the world from that one location we we want to travel somewhere uh let's call it Taiwan, for whatever reason that popped in my head, you can fly via the Emirates. You, you stop there and you get 
from there. This is supposed to be a hub from where people are sent out into the work of ministry. But every church has a specific function, purpose, calling, reason to exist. A church is not just, uh, there, are, there are different sizes of churches and different ways of doing things in churches. But a church exists with a specific purpose. This is what I believe. Because if it doesn't exist for a specific, we are not just merely gathering together to sing songs. We're not merely gathering around because I like the pastor's accent, which is silly. It's not, it's uh, chat GPT. When I press the record button to not wanting to type it out and I say to it in English, what does this or this, this mean? It put, it prints it out in, in Dutch while I'm speaking English. So even chat GPT hears a Dutch, yeah, yes, Afrikaans, nay. Which is sad after these many years of speaking English. You, why, do, why are we here and what is our purpose? Why does the church exist? And what does healthy church life looks like? I don't see that this can just be one service to talk about this. Because if you, he says, how do two people go on a journey without discussing it first? Who builds a house without calculating the cost first? If you deliver a service, you'll know that not everybody's happy with what you do. We have people that leave. The reason I think they leave and are not happy is because they were expecting something that wasn't agreed upon. I think much of marriages are unhappy because there's an expectation that's never met. An expectation cannot be met if there's no communication that sets out the expectation. So it's not healthy for us to rock up every Sunday, hear the pastor talk about money, and you have an understanding what, he, what, what the money is being used for, why you have to give it and what is expected of you, and you're going to leave and be upset with the pastor because he didn't phone you. All right, so is it fair? Can we work through this? Why are we here? How are we doing this? And why do we exist? And so that you're not upset. So maybe we lose a few people today. If you do leave, don't be upset with me. Um, if you decide not to come back. All right, so John 15 verse 5. Open in John 15 verse 5. How do you know you're in a good church? How do you know you're in a bad church? There are many denominations out there that exist in South Africa. Leave that verse out there. You don't have to take it off. Everybody read it quick. Then you can look at me again. There are many denominations in South Africa. This is a non-denominational church. The denominations that exist are all running empty. Most denominations in South Africa and globally are in a decline phase. Most denominations that exist now is a remnant of a thriving movement. Now yesterday, this I'm taking from another preacher. I, I listened to his version of their, their, they're talking about how their church is doing their part. And I listened to their message and he talks about church history, which is actually very, very, very good. But denominations is, 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 and we can see it physically, church denominations are in a decline phase. It's not working. The control structures are in place that is not working. It's other people that's trying to run what was in a generation, a movement of God. So every generation, God is moving with that generation. And no generation, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Abraham, but he's also the God of Jacob. 
Abraham and Jacob is not the same, although they are related. They are two different generations. Now, God is not doing the same thing in 2023 that he was doing in the generation that had to go to Vietnam. You won't know because we didn't go to Vietnam. Why? Because we're in South Africa. He is not doing the same thing that he did with the flower power generation of the 70s. He's doing a different thing in 2023. It's different generations. And every generation has to have an encounter with God and a revelation from God and a movement of God that speaks to that generation. The content is exactly the same. The packaging is different. The Coca-Cola bottle, the original bottle is not the same. I wish I could go back to my mother's pantry and take out a bottle of beans that they had in the 80s. The packaging has changed. The beans is exactly the same. The packaging changes. The content hasn't changed. And for 2000 years, the Word of God, the New Testament has been the exact same New Testament. We can talk about the different versions that it's been written in. People are so upset because this version omits this word and this version. That's nonsense. It's nonsense. That's, that's going to keep you away from seeing Jesus because you're just seeing words that, that is omitted. What is in our translations is more than enough to get you where you need to be and accurate enough to get you where you need to be. And if you translate Afrikaans to English word for word, you'll lose meaning. And that's the reason why some, the NIV and the NKJV and the King James Version is not the same. It is not trying to change the word. It's trying to convey the message of the content of the, of, of, of the original text. So the message of Jesus Christ is exactly the same, but the package has changed. We're not wearing suits like we used to. Women are not wearing hats like they used to. Denominations are gone. They are in a decline phase. We need a new movement. God is doing a new thing. There is the scripture in the Bible. I know that the context that he's saying it in is the context that Jesus Christ coming on the scene is new wine and they are not accepting the new wine because they have old wine skins. But the saying is still true. You don't put new wine in an old wine skin. And so what God is doing now in this generation to reach 9 billion people is not the same that he did when the planet was only 3 billion people. You can't put what God needs to do now in the structures of the old denominations. I have no issue if you're an old denomination, you're visiting our church, good luck with that, do your thing. We're gonna do it this way. John 15, five says, how do you find what church to be a part of? Well, for one, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now the question is, does he, does he mean you individually or does he mean you? I want to submit to you that we often read this scripture through the lens of me and not the lens of we. I am the vine. I, singular Jesus, one. You, does it mean you individually or does it mean you? You are the branch. Or does it say branches? I am the vine, you are the branches. He abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. I want to submit to you that this is possibly also a picture of the church. He abides in me and I bear in him. Bears what fruit? Some fruit. Sometimes. The word there is much fruit. You should underline that, but it's very difficult to do it on an iPhone screen. Much fruit. Much fruit. I want to submit to you that one of the measures of is your church 
A good church is much fruit. The question is now, what do we call fruit? What is fruit? Do we call wealth fruit? No, because then there's a lot of Satanists with much fruit. There's, a, there's actual cults with much fruit. So money is not fruit. Having a large building is not fruit. If you were to stand in front of Jesus one day at the pearly gates and Jesus were to ask you, what is your fruit? What will you tell him? My BMW. Many friends. Facebook follower account. What would be considered a church's fruit? Is it how many times the pastor phones you? Is that the much fruit that we are looking for? What would you tell Jesus if you get to heaven one day and he asks you, tell me about your life. Where, was your life fruitful? Is good deeds fruitful? Because then there are many uh, nonprofit organizations who are not faith-based or Christian faith-based who is doing much good works. Are they good fruit? Because they're not in the vine Jesus. So what, do you consider, what would you consider much fruit? What is one of the measures that we would say, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit? Is it when you pray, God answers? Is that much fruit? That's like my child telling me that when he talks to me, I respond. That's not fruitful. That's relationship. So we can't call answered prayer fruit. We call that relationship. I want to submit to you that much fruit is disciples that is being made. Because one of the last statements Jesus said is go and make disciples. This is David Grobler Montana translation. Because we're not getting it. He says go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Disciple makes, means follower of Jesus. So the question is, are we as a church making disciples, not are we making money? That's why I don't get on the platform and tell you how much offering was. I tell you how many people got baptized. Because one of the measures of much fruit to me for the church's function is are we making disciples? Disciples means followers of the pastor. It doesn't mean follower of the pastor. It means follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple means follower. You're not baptized in the pastor's name. You're baptized in Jesus' name. So, so many people don't want this. They want the me version of the Bible. Okay, if we make disciples, what do I get out of it? If I come to church and we are making disciples, do I get rich? Okay, when do I get a prophecy? How does my marriage benefit from us making disciples? How do I get better as a person? When do I get an opportunity to speak? When can I preach? What do you, how, what will we call my ministry one day? Do you have a word for me, pastor? None of that is relevant because Jesus makes the statement. He says, let me see if I have it here. Um, in Mark chapter number 10, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as ransom for many. The Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve. So I want to say, say these two things. Unite 180 exists under this universal purpose. All churches and every church. Listen to me now. Hear this. Every church has to somehow 
connect back to the great commission of making disciples. No church exists to write songs. No church exists to write strategy. No church exists to build buildings. If the pastor tells you my strategy is to build 10 buildings, the question has to be why? We're not moving sheep from kraal na kraal. We're not taking sheep from other churches. If it, this, is, this is how I understand kingdom order and structure. If you come to our church from another pastor and you, tell, and you, you come to this church and you, I don't care if you were a pastor leading the other church, you become a normal disciple in our church. You become a youth group leader. You learn the culture. You go through the process. And often I'll phone your old pastor, find out where you come from, and I'll believe him more than I believe you. Why? Because he's the appointed senior. We are a disciple-making church, which means we are aiming to win the lost back to Jesus, not aiming to win the saved to the saved. If we are just moving people from church to church, if you do come from another church, hopefully there's a good reason you prayed about it and God moved you. If this is your fourth church, good luck with that. We'll ignore you. Unless you're repentant and you go and fix your old relationships and then you stand here saying, okay, I realize maybe it wasn't the church, maybe it was me. Because if you had four bad pastors, maybe it's not them, maybe it's you. There's a good possibility that it's you. We're a disciple-making church. And when we are saying disciple-making church, we are not, we're not making a blend of people. We're not making a smoothie. We're not making a smoothie. In other words, all agrees are added here. And we take your personality and your personality. And then we make, some, make a mixed grill of what we think Scripture is trying to tell us. We are reading Scripture. And this is the prototype. And we are measuring you against the prototype, not against the pastor. Although Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We say, well, you and Paul would have had a problem because Paul doesn't say imitate Jesus, he says imitate me. Because Paul is an example. Your children is imitating you in your house. If you're a parent, your children is imitating you. They're not imitating Jesus. You should be imitating Jesus. And they'll imitate you. They learn to speak from you. That's why they speak Afrikaans, English, and whatever you speak. Okay. So it sort of takes the responsibility and puts it back on the pastor's shoulder to be an example. We are a disciple-making church. Our purpose is to make disciples. Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. Right? So you are not here with your apron on. Yes, he saw. Bafini. When, when we had children, we put those things around their neck and they still managed to dirty everything in the room. You don't take, you don't, what do you call this? A bib. You don't come to church with a bib on, you come to church with an apron on. Jesus took on his robe, tied it around his waist and he began to serve. If you are part of our church and you want to be part of our church and you want to do, this is a Fusus and Eva visitors announcement. What we're doing here so that there's no confusion, you are here to serve. So you get upset when you are not served in a restaurant. You get upset with the waiter. You don't go back there because the waiter didn't serve you well. Over here, you are the waiter. You are the waiter. You are the server. We are moving from the consumer. We are not the consumer. What is the other word? Um, producer. We are the ones giving out and serving to other people, just as Jesus, who is our prototype, who is our president. He is the one that we look to and emulate. 
He served. You are here to serve. That big Christmas tree in the front foyer that you see there, throughout the entire week, we had volunteers come in here and put those things around. They took an entire week in shifts to get that tree looking like that. None of them are getting a placard with a name tag on and a medallion saying, He's a medallia for you. It is a clear school, nee? We are here to serve. We are here to serve God's people. To make disciple and to serve God's people. Does that make sense? All right, you happy with that so far? He says, uh, okay, I'll get there. In Acts chapter number two, verses 46, I have shown you in every way by laboring like, uh, no, that's not that one. He says, so continuing daily, Acts chapter number two, verses 46. What does this, what does church life look like? Because people are in disagreement about church life. People are not in agreement with what church life looks like. This is the reason many churches in South Africa are called cults. You'll find that those churches are large and there's high commitment in those churches. Large churches with high commitment is often called cults. Now a cult is something that does something contrary to the, uh, uh, to the natural way of doing things. A church could very well be considered a cult. Anything that is not what we believe is a cult to us. And to them that don't believe like them is a cult to them. So cult is not, when somebody says you're a cult, except for the extreme case where there's complete domineering and controlling and manipulation and abuse, that's the proper negative definition of a cult. Being called a cult is not a bad thing if you understand why they are calling you a cult. If it talks about commitment, read that scripture, continuing, continuing daily with one accord. Is, how can you be one accord if you're one person? With who you're, if you're reading it with a me lens, how are me in one accord? Many Christians on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook and where they put the comments is a me Christian. Me have this view. Me don't care about your view. You should preach that in your church. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. So not at their house. So Christianity that, that has you at your house by yourself is not the Christianity that's talked about in the book of Acts. You can read that slowly so that it sinks in. So continuing Acts 2, that's the birth of the church in the beginning of the book of Acts written by Luke. Continuing daily. So continuing daily. So Sunday. So many people read this. So continuing Sundayly. <laughs> with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Continuing daily. So the temple gathering is not once a month excursion for the family to have an outing. This is this, this. Go like this so you wake up. That's nice. You should have taken a photo of that. It looks like you're swimming. <laughs> this was me for, in the beginning, and then this was me after a while when I almost drowned. This is normal Christian life. How many times do you see your parents growing up? How many times do you see your brothers and sisters growing up? Daily or monthly? Jesus is not asking you if this is your family. He's telling you. He's telling you. 
It says in Matthew 12, verses 48, it says, but he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother? Who is my brother? And he stretched out his hand, stretch out your hand. Towards his disciples, he said, here is my mother, here is my brother. Stretch out like, like Macbeth. Here is my mother, here is my brother. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister. Where's your brothers and your sisters? Any comment? They're right here. When do you want to see them again? Oh, in a month. Daily, brothers and sisters, this is your family. Your, your life, when you are accepted into the family of Jesus Christ, that's free. To become a child of God is absolutely free. But thereafter, this becomes your life. You are Abraham. I read to you, Abraham. He lived by himself. And then he went into Sodom, grabbed his little nephew by the neck, brought him out. And then Sodom said, do you want something? He said, I, I want nothing from you. I don't need anything from you. I've got everything in God, Jesus. We're in this, we're in this family, but we're so dependent on the world on the outside. We so desperately want their acceptance. So we have a barbecue with them on Friday and worship God on Sunday and think we're pleasing God and pleasing them. We're trying to keep a balance. There's a tension. There's no, there's no tension. There's supposed to be no tension. There's a disconnect. You're in this world, but not off this world. The Bible says that very clearly. You're in this world, but not off this world. He says, if you are... If you love this world, you're at enmity with God. That's a scripture. If you, are, if you love this world, you are at enmity with God. You are in, in a opposition to God. You're in this world, but not off this world. He says, the road is small and the gate is narrow. There are few on it. The, the road that leads to hell is wide and there are many on it. That's a scripture. In other words, this becomes the road that you... So, so people want to have Christianity that you're on the road on Sunday and then you have the wide open, no free, freedom, Monday to Friday. And then, okay, I have the structure on Sunday. And then I have this wide open breath of fresh air and freedom from Monday to Friday. I do what I want. And then on Sunday, I'm back in the structure. No, this becomes your life. And, and I'm not saying this, the Sunday service is a small part of what we do. But Christianity has, has to be lived out in community. All the letters was written to the communities. It was how they were supposed to behave with one another, how we love one another, care for one another, and we build deep relationships with one another. For that reason, it looks like a cult because you can't just leave. Jesus goes and takes, he says the parable of the 99 sheep, he goes and finds the one. He doesn't go to the one and go like, Yo, He takes him. He brings him back to the 99. He says to him, this is where I want you. Yeah, but I don't like them, Jesus. I'm called different. No, you're not called different. Don't be stupid. 99. You are with the 99. You fall within the letter. So we can, we can go through the scriptures. He writes the letters in Corinthian, 1 Corinthians 12. Verses 12, put it up there, 12, 12 to 27. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also in Christ. Although you are an individual, you are part of a body. Maybe we should ask you this question. Uh, we should ask you this question. Do you feel that you're part of this one body? Are you part of this one body?
Are you here with your buffy on? I hope the pastor serves the steak. Did you, why don't you bring the steak today? Why don't you contribute in a meaningful way that this becomes steak to someone that is still an infant that needs to eat and get to a place where there's solid food? We are contributing, we're working together. By one spirit, we are baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member. It's not one member, it's not the pastor. You are the body of Jesus Christ. Where do you think the arms attach to, the head or the body? What does the hands do? It grabs, it holds. But I need, the, the, I need this whole body to have this arm do this. This arm can't do this if there's no strength here. So some of us wants to be the arm. You can be the arm, but then you can't be the center. None of us are the head. Jesus is the head. The body responds to the head. And so am I in the body. And I fulfill this function, but, but you fulfill your function. We are part of one body. So the church exists to make the, the body exist to make disciples. We work together. Let's read that. In fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, now it goes through the whole, the whole process. And you are all part of the one body. Now it says somewhere there that we've been given gifts. Every person has been given gifts. God distributes gifts. Your gift is meaningless without another person. What God put in you is useful only when there are other people. So in other words, I want to tell you, you will be without purpose outside the body. Because whatever God does, he does for the church. He says to Peter, I will build my what? Church. So, so let me try and finish with this. There are half truths that people believe. I can love Jesus, but I don't have to go to church. That's a half truth. Because Jesus says, I will build my church. If you love him, you love what he loves. You can't tell me that they love the, this is one of the statements people make. They love the church more than Jesus. I don't understand what you're saying. Because Ephesians says, the church is his body. So how can you tell me you love Jesus, but not the body? People, people don't say it that way. They say, I don't love the, I, don't, I love Jesus, but the church, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to be involved in the church. The church is not, the church is God. Not this church, not the brand, but what this represents and what it's a part of is part of, Jesus is saying, I'm building my church. Do you think Jesus is building himself? Ephesians clearly and bluntly says this, the church is his body. The church is also called his bride. You, so you say to Jesus, I like you, I don't like your wife. Then you're telling yourself that you're going to hell because you're supposed to be part of his bride. And if you don't like his bride, you don't like you because you're part of the bride. You're part of the problem. You're part of what you don't like. The bride and the body and the church, those three words are interchangeable. You can go do the research. The body is the church. The church is the body. The bride is the church. The church is the bride. You can't tell me you don't like the church, but you love Jesus. You're lying. You're confused. How? How? It's impossible to do. You are at a better chance of getting to, to 
to stay in order and in line with what Jesus wants if you're in the place that he is building. He doesn't need to, this is another half truth, uh, saying that the church is full of hypocrites. What do you think it's full of? What did you think the church is full of? I'm in the church because I recognize I'm a sinner. I'm not in the church because I'm perfect. Because if I was perfect, I wouldn't need the church. Because the church exists because Jesus died on the cross to save what? Sinners. So where, where are you likely to find people that has faults? Now you're upset that they have faults. So you, when you got saved, you turned into a perfect little sheep without blemish or spot. You're just perfect. Everyone else is hypocrites. It's impossible. You are in a church full of people who are not perfect because Jesus says, I'm building my church. It means it's a work in progress. None of the people around you are perfect. They're going to make mistakes when they speak. They're going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. They're going to believe stupid things. They're going to have assumptions that are not right. They're going to make mistakes. That's why they have Jesus. If Jesus had done the work already, you'd be in heaven, floating around on a cloud with wings. He's not done. And you're not going to be on a cloud floating, eating grapes. That's not where you're going. We are a work in progress. Ephesians says it. He gave the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the what? The saints. So who, who equips the saints? Not the saints. The gifts God put in the church. He said, I put in the church first apostles, second prophets. He put that in the church to equip the saints for the work of many until we all come to the fullness of the knowledge of Christ uh, in the maturity of God, the fullness of, of God, that we grow up into the maturity, something like that, so that we can mature in God. The body is moving towards maturity. The church is not done. You are not done. You are here to serve. And in your serving, you are growing. When you take your focus of what can I get, a child becomes an adult when it, when it stops eating what the mom gives it to eat. It becomes an adult when it goes out to find its own work, scavenge the world, not your mom's pantry, finds its own food, learns how to produce its own food. That's why it doesn't start in a palace. It starts in a townhouse, if you're lucky. And works as well because it's growing into a place where it can now look after things. And when we turn 40, 50 years old, we go like, oh, my ouders was reich. It takes you an entire lifetime. So you can save time by realizing you're part of something. You have to work. You're here to serve. And as you're serving and caring about other people, you're growing up yourself. The church exists not to, to be a bless me club. We exist to come in, do the work. Much fruit. Let me make one or two more final statements. People say, I don't like a large church. So you like a church that doesn't have much fruit. Is that what you're saying? Because you're reading it from a me lens. You're so selfish. You want a good place, but to keep it for yourself. That's the opposite of the word gospel. Go preach the gospel. No, keep it quiet. Because now, now if you preach it, other people will come. Then you won't have the bless me club anymore. Anything that is good and much fruit. Have you ever heard of a money-making scheme that's small? People flock to it. So if it's good news, people will come. There is no such thing as I want to keep it small. Everything starts everything star small as mustard seed is small, but it grows into a large tree, large as the garden plants. 
you can't expect the church to stay small. Go, I like a small church. That's nonsense. That's the devil talking. That's selfish behavior talking. Whatever God is involved in expands. He expands it at the rate that we can handle it. Because he adds to the church daily. When he stops adding to the church daily, it's not the pastor. It's not God's fault. It's the church's fault. Because you can't handle what God is expanding. That is a time for repentance and soul searching, praying and interceding and asking God, what are we doing wrong? Why can't you trust people with us? If people are not added to the church, why is God not sending them? Maybe it's not the pastor that's just bad. Maybe it's the collective. Maybe the body will drop the baby. And Jesus says, I can't send more people there. Because if you get them, you're going to confuse them. You're going to make them turn into you. That's not what we're supposed to do. We are, the, the church has to become smaller while we're growing larger. That's how, why we have small groups. Do you think you popped out looking like you? You were a cell. The cell multiplied, 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 multiplied. And one day you look like you. This is the church. Small cell groups that look after one another. Everybody in this church should have a pastor. No, small groups is different mania. Well, yeah, do half-hearted Christianity. But your children is looking at you. The world is falling apart because the church is not where it's supposed to be. You have an aggressive, active enemy. Don't be passive. Okay. Well, I don't know if I want to say anything else anymore. <laughs> Adulterers and adulteresses. Yeah, that's the wrong verse. <laughs> Do you not know that, the, that, the, that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever that, therefore wants to be friends of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I'll read this final verse to you. Romans 12, chapter 1. Ah, Romans 12, chapter 1. That's not how you read it. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you. That's strong language. It's not ach, jung, if you have a moment. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. That's a familiar word. Brethren, broers. By the mercies of God. Christ, the mercies. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. I beseech you, brothers, present your bodies. I'm here in service of God and His kingdom. I present my body. This should be our statement. As a Christian, young and old, Rico, Kaira, young and old, yay and yay and yay and yay. I present my body. Here I am, Jesus. I want to be on the narrow way. It hurts. It's not fun always. Church is ne there's no, the marketing division of church has never promised fun. We present our bodies. Here I am. Not just on YouTube with a th uh, thumbs up. Here I am. Jesus, here I am. My body. A living sacrifice. Sacrifice means it hurts. Here I am. All of me, Jesus. I'm yours. I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. I count everything that I could have had as waste that I may inherit you. Here I am. All of me is all of yours. It belongs to you, my body, my life, my words, my thoughts. When I'm out of line, Holy Spirit, correct me. When I say the wrong thing, think the wrong thing, correct me. 
when I refuse to listen, raise up brothers that have the guts to tell me I'm wrong. This should be our religion, our response to God. This should be our behavior. That He would put people around me, that this body would stay on course for as long as I live in service of God. This is what the church is about, to make disciples. More bodies that say, God, here I am. That recognize that Jesus is Lord and Savior. The alternative is death. Our church, we have many older people in this church. Many, 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 many. Hear me now? Our church, our focus, called by God. Our aim is still under the, the covering, go and make disciples. The way we do that is to reach young people. So our music will represent that. Our vibe in this building will represent that. All the older people are welcome. Our aim is young people to be a relevant place. The packaging changes, the content is the same. Jesus Christ can save. We have a responsibility to reach young people for Jesus Christ. Teenagers that needs to hear that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have to work hard. We are here to serve. Are you serving that purpose? What can you do to serve that purpose? Not all of you will be preachers. You can't be. It's one microphone. I already have it. It's like a baton and I'm not ready to pass it. But what you do, you need to do so that we can collectively reach a broken world. Let's be that church. Let's be a church that a book can be written about. A peculiar people who made history in their nation. Because a bunch of people said, I'm here to serve. Where do you want me? Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, I pray. All of us fall short, including me. Thank God that, Father, thank you that our future is not reliant on our behavior only. Not even in slight. We are saved by grace and through faith alone. We're not saved because we are good. We're saved because Jesus died for our sins. Now we surrender our lives. We give our bodies as a sacrifice to live for you. And echo Paul's words, I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. And as Matthew says, he who wants to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake, he will find, discover life. That we would walk into purpose like never before. Feeling and living a fulfilled life. We have a purpose. Glorify Jesus. Make him known. Let this generation hear the gospel accurately, displayed with accuracy, authentic Christianity, a real encounter with a real God. Let that be the virtue of this ministry. It's been bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God a proper praise in the house.